Shumai. Sponsoring the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes, a not-for-profit organization who raise money for military charities. Formed by keen rugby players, keen beer drinkers out of Old Lemontonians RSC. They were formed in 2009 following the death of Private Joe Whittaker in 2008, who was sadly killed serving on operations with the Parachute Regiment in Afghanistan. Since Rugby for Heroes formation, they've raised in excess of 100 £110,000, I should say, £110,000, and they are intent on raising so much more money for military charities. They raise money by organising rugby-orientated events, but not only rugby-orientated, they also have supper club events, beer and gin festivals, and uh, and other such exciting, enthralling, enthralling, is that the word? Is that the right word to use? I don't think enthralling is the right word to use, but I'm going to use it anyway. Enthralling events that Rugby Heroes organise. I've been to every one of their events since I found out about Rugby Heroes, since I was introduced to them, and uh, I intend to go to every single event in the future. Fingers crossed I'm able to do that, because it means when you attend one of their events, I can meet you there, maybe buy you a beer. They had a load of stuff lined up for this year. Um, the pandemic has put the stop to that, but... They are keen to get going as soon as possible again. So you need to keep an eye on uh, on 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 their website and on their, on their social media, which is updated regularly, and it will inform you about when the next events are. Their website address is rugbyforheroes.org. That's rugbyforheroes.org. And on social media, they are at rugbyforheroes, at rugby number four heroes on social media, on Twitter, they're on Facebook, and they are on Instagram. Give them a follow. And uh, it'll also keep you informed as to uh, what's going on with the Forces Barbarians RSC fixtures as well and events as well. So keep uh, keep a close eye on Rugby Heroes, give them a like, give them a follow and give them a thank you for not only supporting this podcast but also for supporting the wider military community and rugby community. Thank you to Mike and everybody at Rugby Heroes. It is an absolute pleasure working with you guys. Also sponsoring the podcast today are the Aardvark Group, who were founded in 1982 with the express objective of developing a mechanical landmine clearing system which would meet the design criteria which its founders considered to be the prime critical factors, namely for the clearance of all known anti-tank and anti-personnel mines and landmines using mechanical and manual means, and the location, identification and disposal of all munitions and unexploded ordnance. In the process of developing the design criteria for mechanical landmine clearance equipment, it rapidly became evident that there were two distinct and mutually exclusive applications. One, minefield breaching under combat conditions, and two, post-conflict and humanitarian area clearance. The task to clear the world of landmines is enormous. The estimate of numbers varies, but it is certainly in excess of 90 million, with some sources such as the Red Cross estimating... 110 million. When I was working in Afghanistan with uh, with the military, uh, my personal experience, I think just in Afghanistan alone, I think there's over 10 million mines there, legacy mines we would call them from pre- previous conflicts. It's a huge problem. And the problem is not just the number of mines, but it's also the huge areas contaminated. For example, a small country such as Croatia, which had been well mapped as an area of 4,000 square kilometres contaminated by minefields and randomly scattered mines. That's four billion square meters of absolute nightmare is what that is 
Since area clearance is the real issue, the cost of clearance per square metre is vital to commercial viability of the clearance process. Cost effectiveness and the safety of the operators are of paramount importance and the Aardvark Group know this. You can find out more about the Aardvark Group and all the work they do and the support they give to the military community uh, by going to their website, aardvark.group. How easy is that? Aardvark.group. They're also on social media. They're on Instagram, Twitter and uh LinkedIn and Facebook. So just look for the Aardvark group on all of those. And they've got an interesting uh, Instagram account as well with their um, their uh, pretty impressive machines that do the job. Um, yeah, thank you to Aardvark group and uh, David at the helm there for all the support to the podcast. And like I said, the wider military community. Amazing to have you guys on board. On to the podcast. In June 2017, there was a terrorist attack on London Bridge in London. Uh, a vehicle, a van, rammed into pedestrians and uh, and a lot of stabbings ensued as well. Uh, my guest today is Charlie Ginnegalt, who was awarded a George Medal for his actions during that attack uh, on the 19th of June, 2017, where he was an off-duty policeman returning from watching a football match with his mates and uh, encountered the terrorists and the casualties. Uh, He was stabbed himself. He was stabbed in the head. He was stabbed in the back. And uh, I'm very lucky to get away with uh, with his life. This is the H-Hour podcast. My name is Hugh Keir, and my guest today is Charlie Ginnegalt, GM. Enjoy. Right, we are on this time. Good. Pleasure to have you, Charlie. Pleasure to have you on the podcast. Mate, you were, we were talking there just before we started. Um, book. Yeah, you were you were thinking about writing a book, or you have started writing a book? Um, I would say probably have started. Um, probably. Sorry, just pull it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah probably about, um, ooh, I would say, probably the summer of 2018. Um, it was more originally for... Uh, I guess processing um, everything that sort of happened. Um, you know, I've obviously sort of talked about it with um, friends, family. Talked about it on like sort of the media, I guess we'll call it. Um, it was more, you know, really sort of diving into it, really sort of taking into account what happened that night, um, and then obviously sort of processing, you know, sort of I guess how it's changed you perhaps um how it's sort of affected you you know especially afterwards sort of the recovery side of things in terms of you know being in hospital um and just really sort of an almost like an evalu- a large evaluation of yourself um taking to account you know the impact that it's had on on you your your family as well um and then sort of you know, some good bits in there as well, not sort of all down and dreary and things like that, you know, sort of, um, again, mainly about what happened. Um, but yeah, looking at the positive side of things as well, so all these sort of uh, events, recognition, uh, just all those things that you think that would never happen in my life, like all the sort of uh, different, um, as I said, like events and uh, things I've got to go to really as well. So um, that sort of, helped a lot um especially sort of occupying my time off work as well 
and then I guess by the time I sort of thought, oh, that's all right. It was then sort of more about, you know, your own life and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's just sort of something sort of dipped in quite a lot. Uh, not so much recently, really. But I guess it's something I can always come back to as sort of a, a project maybe later on. And there's more things to write about, perhaps. Yeah, they, they, I think the when people... There's always books come out about di- different incidents and different things. People do books for different reasons, right? I think some people see them as quite self-serving, but rightly or wrongly, depending on the intent of it. But I think people often miss the point that it's not It's not always about, um, you know, oh, look at me, look at my story. It's very often, especially with traumatic stuff, it's very often about a, a method or part of the method of processing what went on for the person who experienced it. Because especially when you're talking about writing, I think it's like it's almost an art, sort of getting forgotten. I think, but it it causes when you when you when you're trying to put a story into words in, or into a different medium, it often gets you to think a bit deeper about it below you know that first level and helps you sort of understand a bit more. Um, what was the date? What date did it happen? Uh, so it been the third of June, twenty seventeen. What Champions League match were you watching? I've, I read it. Oh, <laughs> so it would have been. I want to say Real Madrid Juventus, and the result was four one. Um, yeah, I didn't remember what the result was when I when I eventually woke up, um, but I do remember my uh, bet I had that night, uh, which didn't come through. So that's the main thing I sort of remember from that. Chalk through it, chalk, chalk through the day, mate. What um, had you been working at all that day? Uh, yeah, so we had. Um, it was sort of like this new thing that was introduced, whereby um, you know you'd work sort of in between, I guess the original shifts that people long. So we do like sort of earlies, lates and nights. Uh, so it was like a 10 till six, I think, or something like that, which, is like, which, which we wouldn't normally do. Um, and that was only because I went out the previous night. So I wanted obviously a bit of a lay-in and things like that as well. So, um, so there was like four of us from our team on that day. Um, we had sort of a couple of incidents that were quite, I guess, um, not, the norm really um i guess something that you sort of go like if you have like days that are sometimes quite light uh this was quite like a heavy day i mean not at the time because at the time you're sort of just doing your job you're just sort of continuing on you don't really sort of i don't want to say pay much attention to it but you don't sort of let it really sort of affect you or you don't want to because obviously if everything affected you 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 wouldn't get anywhere really um so i think we were sort of you know, I was just planning on going home really that night, and then uh, just one of the people just mentioned about going to the pub. I was like, "Yeah, go on in." Like, might as well. Saturday night, um, and yeah, the football was on, so it's like a reason. That's a reason enough to go out, I think. Uh, so yeah, we decided to to go out that night. Go on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not where the light finished yet. No, 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 no. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we went to um, went to a pub. It was sort of for the people who don't really know. It wasn't really sort of London Bridge Borough Market way. It was more sort of the Elephant and Castle sort of way. So a bit further down, a bit further down Borough High Street, basically. Can't remember the name of the pub, uh, but I do remember they were serving a Ranji Boom on tap, which I haven't seen in ages. So I thought, yeah, go on then. So the first one went down very well. Second one down very well. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I believe it was seven. I don't know if it's off my head. Um, and yes, obviously, 
having, having a couple, having a, oh, say a couple, having a few beers and just watching the football. So, obviously, the people I was with, I think there ended up being about sort of eight of us, seven or eight of us at the time. Um, and we all sort of parted ways at different times, really. Um, and, you know, my sort of usual walk back um, to London Bridge, so to get a train home that night. So, again, just like London night, London nightlife, Saturday night, you know, I thought it was actually quite quiet considering the football's been on and it was obviously June, so obviously fairly warm. Um, I think the horse racing had been on at Epsom or somewhere like that as well. I can't remember which one it was. Um, so, yeah, walking back, um, usually I would have my earphones in, listen to music things like that, just sort of, I can just almost like space out from like what's going, what's happening around me. Uh, obviously being aware of some of what's going on. Uh, didn't have them on me. Must have left them in Malacca for the first time ever. Um, so yeah, I was just walking back. Um, sort of came up to uh, more sort of the Borough Market way um, near the sort of railway line. And it was pretty much just sort of, you know, just straight away, just like someone like, oh, like shouting pretty much, help, I've been stabbed. Where, in the street? In the street, yeah. So sort of heard the noise, looked over to my left, just seen someone basically holding their arm and sort of gradually sort of fall to the floor. And I guess it was. So first thought came to my mind was, fuck, because... I probably have to do something about this. I can't really sort of go, ah, uh, just let that go. It's fine. You know, you sort of have a responsibility to some extent to do something. It doesn't have to be sort of miracle first aid, but, oh, maybe this person needs some help. Maybe let's call the police and let's call the ambulance. So that was sort of my initial sort of reaction to it. As much as I probably didn't want to do it, but I just wanted to go home. So I've run across the road. Um, as soon as I got over there, basically this girl just basically put her phone in like towards me, and I could see it was ringing nine nine nine. So I've just sort of just okay, fair enough that you've done my job for me already. Was this the girl that got stabbed? Uh, I don't believe so. I I don't know was who this someone else. I I right. don't know who this person would be. Um. So, yeah, just sort of, you know, just kept it quite basic. It was pretty much uh, Mouse been stabbed on Borough High Street, opposite Pret a Manger. Uh, police and ambulance gave her back the phone. That's that's enough, really, for them to sort of go, okay, there's a call about it. And then I thought, okay, well, I'll use my phone now and try and obviously contact them as well. So as I was sort of dialed it, things like that um, and I never called 999 before so I didn't really know I just assumed it just went straight through to someone it doesn't uh, like, what request what uh, service do you require didn't didn't know that at all so I just sort of again said exactly the same things I did before uh, like police and ambulance here here and here um, and I'm assuming it was sending me through to some place someone um, but basically as it came through um, 
that's when the British Transport Police came. So there was two of them. So Wayne and Leon. So Wayne Marks, Leon McLeod uh, came over. Um, just sort of got me warrant card out. Just like, oh yeah, I'm a police officer and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and just very briefly, it was just like, yeah, he's just been stabbed. That's that's all really new. And there was, should have mentioned, there was someone actually, what looked like they were doing first aid on them, sort of like putting pressure on like his arm. So I guess I was like, that's sort of covered as well. It's just more sort of, you know, just trying to figure out what's what's really happened. Because obviously at this time, we have no idea what's going on. What actually is going, literally 100 meters away from us, we have no idea what is actually going on. So we sort of, I don't think we even talked at all for uh, within like 10, 15 seconds. Um, there was like sort of an alleyway, I guess, that sort of leads into the market. Um, just almost like this group of like six, seven people just came out. And we just sort of thought, well, I just sort of thought, oh, it's just like a fight. Maybe it's something to do with this. So there was like a right commotion then. Uh, I mean, nothing from, I guess, from a policing standpoint, from things that you see, nothing out of the ordinary. You know, someone like who doesn't work in that environment would be, oh my God, there's a fight going on. There's a fight going on. So you're quite sort of relaxed and chilled about it almost to a certain extent. So I've just seen, I will, I've just seen Wayne go over. Um, and whatever reason, just gone followed him. Whether it was just out of out of instinct, just no sort of like, like he's gone. You just go because that's what you do in the job. You there's danger. You don't run. You go to it. Now, if I hadn't have drunk that night, I don't think I would have changed. I think I've obviously what I was talking about recovery. I don't think I would have done anything different to be honest. I think I still would have gone bosh like gone into there as well maybe had a bit more sort of an idea of what was happening but I think I would have gone straight in there as well again I only thought it was a fight no can handle myself can sort of help out Wayne he's got like obviously um, asp spray and all that sort of stuff so he's got a bit of protection he knows who I am so chances are we're going to probably break up a fight they'll disperse and go would be sort of the norm what would happen so just just basically just belted it into this this group of people like didn't know who was who didn't know you just think trying to almost put people apart really um so gone into it and again i don't know who i was pushing or shoving or i can't remember if I, I don't think i was throwing any punches or anything like that you know just sort of general sort of breaking it up breaking it up like but with a bit of force we'll call it uh reasonable of course um so, again, I looking back at me, I could have like pushed people who were like injured and things like that. You just, you just don't know. Um, so, sort of, again, very quickly, this is all happening as well. I'm sort of slowing it down a bit. I then sort of just had almost like a glance up, and I've just seen uh, Wayne, basically with his ass out, and he's just pretty much basically just swiping down. Asp. So it's like a baton, basically. Sorry. Um, or a truncheon, if you want to be really sort of old school about it. It's sort of a format on that. So just seen him sort of... It's obviously it's like racked, as we call it. So it's out. And he's just sort of really levelling someone. So obviously there's 
you know, a point where, okay, someone's obviously come for him and things like that, you know, again, spare the moment, he's just got out and done it. Um, Again, still not really realising what the situation was. And then for whatever reason, it just sort of just appeared that there was like, oh, three people standing in front of you with vests, knives, not looking particularly happy with you. Is the best way of putting it. And just sort of this almost like stare for like, again, a couple of seconds of, I think they were a bit shocked because it was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you coming over here? And for me, it was like, oh, you're not just having a fight. Um, you appear to be a terrorist or a group of terrorists in this situation. Um, so I guess there was sort of, you know, we have that sort of fight or flight and things like that. Um, you know, we also have freeze and film now, of course, the other, the other F in there. Um, it's that sort of like shock, I guess we'll call it just like, oh, it's, it's that not where we thought it was. Um, and then it was sort of, you're in a situation whereby, you know, I'm in this now, can't really get away from it. You know, I've put myself into this predicament. Let's try and get out of it. Again, you sort of think, well, you know, you could have just easy, you could have just seen it and gone, belted off and ran away. And I wouldn't have had a problem with that because I'd just done the marathon. So I could have run home and it'd been fine. Um, but again, that's just how your brain would just sort of decide in that split second what to do. And my brain decided to stay there and basically try and fight them off, I guess we'll call it. Um, what were the what vests were they wearing? So it was, it was almost like. I'm not sure if they were actual sort of stab vests or sort of you know protective vests as we would have. It just appeared to look in that sort of same uh, shape as well. Um, and there was definitely things on it. Even at the time, obviously it, hindsight's great. I knew sort of there. I was like, they ain't real, like almost like I think like suicide vest, that sort of thing. I was like, they don't look real. Even though I've never seen one before in my life, it just didn't look real. Um, obviously not a lot of people would, you wouldn't know that, would you? You would not take that chance. Um, and then, yeah, just like obviously these long brandishing knives and things like that as well. So again, you sort of go, oh, it's not like, it's just a fight, is it? It's something else. So I remember sort of two of them coming towards me. I remember one like more distinctly coming towards me and things like that. And it was almost a case of, you know, I'm standing up there. He's got a knife like wrapped around his wrist. I'm just up there with my arms up because this is like how we get trained. Well, how we used to get trained. I don't know what it's like now. Put your arms up to protect your abdomen because obviously if you get stabbed there. That's, that's worse than getting stabbed in your arms and things like that. So it is basically like a fighting stance. And just remember sort of like a couple of like, you know, lunges, almost like as you would have in fencing, not because I'm posh, but I just have done fencing before. Um, sort of lunges at me, sort of like, yeah, just sort of like getting, managing to sort of get away from it. Um, I sort of, again, I'm not sure if this is just my brain sort of um, filling the gaps and things like that, but I do sort of vaguely remember sort of grabbing his arm and what you basically do is you grab the arm and you push the elbow joint because then it sort of releases the hand and then it will come out. Now, 
I didn't know that it was wrapped around his hand at the time. Well, like a strap around it. Almost basically, basically like, yeah, like almost if you've got like duct tape and just spread it around. I think it was like some sort of like material they had wrapped around it. So it didn't come out. Um, again, that, that could have happened. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And then eventually sort of another one sort of came towards me. So again, my attention is now sort of drawn to two of them trying to obviously go like, you're both coming for me. I've now got a sort of dodgy, dodgy both. Um, so yeah, I think when I was looking at the second one, like two, I guess more to my right, the other one sort of in the middle, the one in the middle was then sort of almost like arched round and uh, got me in the back. Um, so, you know, at that point you're like, oh, he got me, you know, he's got me. Like, okay. He's got me. Okay. Um, and then, you know, this is where it's sort of, I've obviously seen it on CCTV. So my brain has it in one way and CCTV has it in another. And, uh, so I'll go for the CCTV. So that's actually what happened. So it, then it looks like I get done in the back again. I think by the same person. How big was the blade that you get stabbed in the back with? Oh, I think, I think it was nine or 12 inches. Jesus. It was, I can't remember exactly. Um, that's mass- massive. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite a big, <laughs> a big go. Um, from Lidl as well. That's where it came from. So good advertisement for them. Um, so yeah, it was, it was weird. Cause like you feel you, f- there's no way of saying, Oh, it feels like this. You know, it feels like getting stabbed. It's not like, Oh yeah, I can accommodate. I can say it's like, you know, getting a punch in the face. It's not, it's like getting stabbed. Um, so you can feel it sort of going into you and things like that, but it didn't really hurt. That's probably just the adrenaline going through here or the beer or a bit of both so I could feel it going but I was like oh that's really painful and then he got me again I was like okay I know what that feels like you just did it and then um, this shot basically when I watched it you couldn't ask for like if you were like a director of a film you couldn't ask for a better shot of how it sort of appeared on screen because it was literally like at the outside of like a restaurant with a camera sort of pointing out the front door. And I've just basically after the second time, I've just fallen straight on my ass. Probably some just like obviously body sort of giving up or going, oh, that's actually a bit, you need to like stop, relax or wherever it will be. And then whilst this two people have been doing this, this third one somehow got round the other side of me, came back round my back. And um, basically just almost like sort of 90 degrees, like one, two, three in my head. Three so times? Three times, yeah. So sort of, yeah, so I've got one top left eye, one right eye, and then one down the back of my neck. Um, that, were, were you, when, he, when he did that, were you on your back like looking up? And no, he came so, so I fell on my, so I was basically sat up as I would be like on a chair on the floor. And then got me when I was on the ground. So two things there. First of all, it's not very gentlemanly to do that. You have to be standing up for it. And again, that that did actually feel like almost like getting a a punch in the face, but a punch in the face from maybe someone like the Big Show, with a who's got a massive fist and things like that. Um, and almost like this, your face just explodes, just from because of where it hit. 
you know, the skin's like quite loose, especially around the eyes and things like that. It just thought this boom, like explosion almost. And um so yeah, that sort of done me in a bit there. But it was weird watching the sort of the camera footage of it, you know, I sort of it happens again, like really quick motions. And then uh Wayne and Leon are actually sort of dragging me back from obviously to me to get away them to get away from me and things like that um and i i don't remember really doing this but again from the footage i'm like kicking out them which again is what we do in training if you're on the floor which you shouldn't if you go on the floor that's like bad news if you're on the floor you can try and kick out lash out wherever it'll be to obviously try and get up get away so yeah kicking out them i was like when I watched it, I was like, hold on. <laughs> You're still like giving it a go or whatever. Um, and then pretty much after that, um, they then sort of, I don't want to say they left me. They didn't, <laughs> they just went and tried to obviously stop them and things like that. And then there's sort of like this other angle. And I do remember doing this bit quite, quite fond, fondly, uh, quite vividly. Vividly. Yeah, thank you. Fondly. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, I remember back in the day and all this. So, yeah. So obviously at that point, I'm on the floor. No, it's, I'm not get. I'm not going to be any more use really at that point. Um, and I did feel like I think this is the point where I was like, oh, I'm going to die. And that's the point I was like, no, I'm not a religious person, but literally, I remember literally saying like, please God, don't let me die. Which you know. Uh, uh- Later on, where did you find out what organs had been impacted by those stabs in the back? So, what had been hit? What was the injuries that you were dealing with at that time? I only had really a brush on my kidney. Everything else was fine in terms of the initial injuries. Lucky. And yeah, because I like when I was on the sort of now I'm on like my back basically. And, you know, last rites. And at this point, I'm sort of like, okay, well, I'm either going to get one in the chest or I'm going to get one in the head as a sort of finish you off sort of thing. And it was weird because sort of, okay, well, let's pl- almost like play dead. And it was like this other camera angle it showed you. And, and watching it, I was like, I look dead. Like, you, if you didn't know who it was, or if you thought it was someone else, you'd be like, oh, he's dead. Straight away. So, we'll put that down to good acting ability. We'll say this. But yeah, it did look like I was gone completely. And it's it's weird. Because you don't really sort of, you obviously know it's you, but you don't sort of go, oh yeah, like, that's me. It's it's bizarre. Um, what, what was was there any members of the public around at this point do you remember or you could see on CCTV what what were they doing because so, you, you had your two colleagues well yeah colleagues but obviously they were on duty you were off who, yeah. were, who were trying to protect you and, and protect other people for fighting them off so was, yeah I mean they obviously didn't do the last bit I don't know whether because they were just going for anyone so it's moved on basically um, I was only on the ground for like it must have been like not even a minute um I remember sort of like, I was on my back, laid onto my belly just so then it was like, it was more comfortable more than anything. But it was, you know, sort of 
get all the blood away from your eyes and all that sort of stuff because there was a lot of blood. Um, and then just sort of from out of nowhere, really, just like two people just, again, members of the public just came over, uh, Justin and Ellen, um, obviously didn't know him at the time. They came over and, you know, I was just sort of awake at this point. I wasn't unconscious or anything like that. I still had a fair bit of wits about me. Obviously knew what had happened to me. I knew where I'd been injured. And I was pretty like confident these were terrorists as well. Um, so, yeah. So they've both come over. Didn't have to. Again, people could have run. There's no harm in There's no sort of like, if you ran, it's a problem. It's not. That's what you should do. They came over. Again, just had, either they felt they had to do it or whatever it was that told them to do it. And no, thankfully they did do that. So they came over. I was, I was again still conscious. I said to like Justin, you know, just because I was to put your knee in my back just to obviously stem any sort of wounding, injury, bleeding. Um, and then to Ellen, I was just like, call the police. Uh, then asked her to, <laughs> excuse me, I then asked her to call one of my mates, uh, Katie, which she did. And then, put the phone to my face and then at this point I'm quite calm like I've been like okay breathe talk to me about anything just keep my mind off it just keep me awake keep me talking you know just so and then uh, she, I, she put the phone down next to me like next to that is pool of blood or whatever and then at this point I think this is where the sort of the shock adrenaline all these different emotions come out so that every 30 seconds you're up you're down you're all this over the place so I shouted very loudly what had happened very briefly to Katie over the phone. Uh, she then took the phone away after that. I thought that's quite a good idea to do that. Um, again, from a policing standpoint, you go, well, there's going to be a lot of people here soon. There's going to be a lot of police here. There's going to be a lot of ambulances here very soon. It's not like it's uh, in the middle of nowhere. We've got no, we've got no reception. It's London. It's going to be here quite quick. So again, just sort of a keep me talking, keep me awake, keep me calm as much as you can, things like that. Um, I think this is something the son picked up on that I, he asked me what my favourite song was and I jokingly said, Staying Alive. I was like, still had your wits about you then at the time. But yeah, just random stuff like that really. So, um, yeah, police came quite, quite quick. Um, had sort of like our crime squad, we call them, come over in an unmarked and then had a, some of the response teams come over, bandaged me up on my back. I think they bandaged my head a bit, just again, just to sort of stem any bleeding. Um, you know, at that point, again, a bit of luck because you know who, you know the procedure, you know how it works. It is a life or death situation. We're not waiting for an ambulance. We're getting in the car and we're going. So they took me to the wrong hospital first because he didn't have an A and E. Literally, it was like a hundred meters away. So you thought you would, wouldn't you? You thought there'd be someone there, but no, it doesn't have an A and E. And it's like, okay, that's fine. And then took me to Kings. So yeah, at this point again, still awake, still conscious, things like that. Um, obviously covered in blood and covered in sick because apparently, if you lose a lot of blood, you feel sick or because of alcohol or shock, wherever it would be. I was then sick in the car, fell into the sick, covered in sick and blood. 
as well on the way to hospital. So basically get to hospital quite quickly. Um, and I think even at that stage, it was like, they didn't really know the extent of it. I don't think it was, it, I think it was sort of like, oh, there's something happening, but we don't know at to what level it is. Um, and, you know, it was, I think eventually it was 48 people injured and obviously eight died, unfortunately. So, yeah, St. Thomas, Kings, um, probably Chelsea was probably where they were all taken. As well, I was just lucky, obviously, it got found sort of fairly quickly, you know, because this was just over, I'm not saying a large area, but it's not a lot of sort of little alleys, little bits here and there, like you could easily miss someone, especially with all the noise going on. Um, so yeah, managed to get myself into hospital again, still conscious, awake, bit loud, I would say. I was not happy about what happened is the best way of putting it. Um, and then by coincidence, a complete coincidence, there was a, one of the guys from my, who I did my training with, his sort of team or unit got told to go to the hospitals because, you know, that's sort of the procedures that we do in an events like this. And just knew, well, I don't know if you like sort of heard the name or things like that of going around and he just came and that like, sat with me for like an hour and a half. So it was like, oh, someone I know I can talk to whilst all this is obviously happening to me because at the time, you know, there's obviously people coming in, don't know what sort of urgency I'm at and things like that. You know, the fact that I was awake obviously means I'm probably less urgent than maybe others. And the fact that I could move, that with my legs, I could see and things like that. Again, it's sort of, although it's very urgent, it's not maybe as urgent as others. So yeah, it was probably up for about an hour and a half and then eventually um, got put under and then woke up properly four days later, I think, after that point. I've, I've, I've forgotten how many people it was that got, got done that day. 48 injured, 8 dead. I think it was. I can't, I think that was the right number. And it was three, three of them. Yeah, it's three of them. So obviously I haven't included them in the people who died because they don't count as well. But yeah, they got shot. Mm. What was the, uh, so what were the, the head injuries you had? Because you, you mentioned stabbing near, near eyes, forehead. So three stab wounds, two in the face and one in the neck, 19 stitches, which I thought was not a lot because I got stamped playing rugby once and above the eye, the left eye, and that was eight stitches. So I was like, well, not too bad. Um, obviously still got the scars from it now, which are fine. You know, again, that could have been, I guess obviously the way they stitched you up, repaired them, however you want to put it, like, it came out really well. Um, you know, there was always going to be something there, but I was like, it could have been much worse in terms of like what was left over, I guess. Um, and then in the back, I think, I don't know if there was, how that was done. I don't know if it was staples or stitches, I can't remember. Um, but when they had to operate, they had to go from the front. So I've got a big sort of line going across, up my belly, up to my chest, pretty much. So you went in from the front and then I could operate that way. So they had to remove my spleen. So when they told me they removed my spleen, I was pretty much like, what's that? Never heard of it before. 
So I was like, obviously, I don't need it then. I was like, well, you need to take that medication for it. I went, that's fine. But I was like, I don't know what it is. So it didn't really bother me that much. I know what it's called. I don't know what it does, though. I'm sure it does in, It does hormone release and stuff, doesn't it? Like, it's, like, yeah, it's basically for your immune system, right. pretty much. It just helps your immune system. Again, I was like, I don't know what it is. Um, so, yeah, that was a big sort of, that was all stapled down the front as well. And obviously just sort of had, you know, still had bandages on. Obviously just like loads of painkillers and things like that as well. So um, people who have had, had it before, the morphine button, you get in hospital every 10 minutes, little, that's lovely. Um, so, yeah, I think they eventually sort of, I think on the Tuesday, this is the Saturday, I think on the Tuesday, I think I, was briefly like open my eyes or something like that. I don't really remember what happened, if anything did happen. And then on the Wednesday morning, I think it was, there was like my parents were there and um I think a couple of my mates Dan and Katie were there as well. I can't I think that was the Wednesday. And then the Thursday I sort of moved from out of like I guess intensive care to just a ward. Um and then I yeah sort of remember that day more, but I was still very out of it at that point. Um, I had an incident. Well, I say it was an incident. Uh, it was basically my borough commander and chief inspector turned up. And at this point, I'm sort of very like excited, I guess we'll call it, in terms of, you know, oh, I'm alive. Oh, I've got this in me. I've got this, this, and this. Uh, I've got these like chip buckets here, with, like chest drains and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, I've got this uh, catheter in as well. So I revealed that to him. And they were like, the commissioner's coming soon. Can you not do that? I went, okay, so. <laughs> that sort of made me a bit more like, okay, there's. <laughs> yeah. What was it like? Uh, what was it like when Fear trying to remember the You mentioned earlier when you, you, you have your version of what happened in your head and you know what happened on CCTV. That's quite, quite common. I've experienced that previously. I've mentioned it previously where I remembered an event, completely different chain of events to what other people who were there. And there was no CCTV, but there was they had it right and I had it wrong. Um, um, what was it like having to? Because I'm assuming as part of the process, you had there was they needed to take a statement from you, stuff like that. So yeah, they did have to take it, but the fact that I was in hospital, it was deemed not appropriate to do so. So you know, people are going to ask, aren't they? You're not going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to talk about it for what would have been three and a half months. It's not going to happen. Until the inquest. Until that was when I did my statement. Ah, right. Um, so people came in and were like, what's happened? Or what happened? And I'll just go tell it, really. You know, again, it's sort of like, no one said don't talk about it, but, you know, you're going to, really, aren't you? What, what people want to know, they want to know if you're all right, which you are, how the hospital's been and what happened. So you're just going to have to bring it out. So I think even sort of talking about it very early on definitely helped. Um, again, just sort of the, the process of it and things like that. Um, but again, it was just more sort of, I'm not dead, which will always be the biggest achievement, if you can call it that, because it is like, oh, I should have died and I didn't. So why why would I not talk about that? Why would I not sort of discuss that with people? And it's like, if you're talking, if they sat in the other, like at least like you're with it. You're not sort of like breaking down. You can't talk about it and things like that. It was like just for whatever reason, it was very easy to buy the drugs helped at the time. Um, 
so yeah just sort of you know had all these different procedures happening obviously checkups like all the time um as you get in hospitals you know i was originally in sort of like a a ward with like four people and then i think someone high up in the organization had a word and put me into like a sort of a room of my own which i guess makes sense considering obviously you know if you talk about it from a proper like organizational like procedures way yeah that's probably beneficial to do so and there was press floating around or trying to get in and things like that so if they pick up on something they're going to go with it um because i think they it got i guess we could say it got leaked that it was one i was one of the people before the met sort of released the statement as well so someone's probably been a bit naughty somewhere giving information that i don't know like not from the job probably from like social media and things like that um so yeah it was more sort of getting in there and then you would have someone outside obviously people who were coming in and things like that and obviously if i was like i don't want this person here they would come in and deal with it so yeah um being being in that situation on your own it was weird because it was really nice because obviously it's quiet i mean i had visitors all the time or it was oh this morning we need to do this this and this when you get this scanned when you do this x-ray mri wherever it is so you're sort of like busy almost um and then pretty much afternoon time to evening because there was obviously visiting hours but they were like yeah you can have visits whenever you want um so if i had my team on like nights they might come in and things like that so yeah that that most of the time the day was sort of like you're laying in hospital you can't really get out but at least you're sort of being you know keeping busy as much as possible um were there any other victims from the attack in the same hospital uh yes so wayne was in there excuse me wayne was in there um that was pretty much like you can't go and speak to him but that is that's the procedure and i went that's fair enough you know we didn't know each other at the time and what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about what happened, aren't we? Which, which one was which guy was Wayne? Which was he uh, one, of, he was one of the BCPs? Yeah. Oh, he got stabbed. Yeah, he, he got he got he got uh, he got one in the. He almost lost his sight in one of his eyes. Um, got stabbed in the leg. I think there was a couple of others as well. I think it might be in his hand as well. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, he got he got done as well, basically. Um, so yeah, I couldn't really speak with him. It was more sort of my dad or someone else would say, yeah, he's fine. Or you would hear how his condition is. And I assume that was working both ways. Uh, yes, there were other people there as well. Um, again, there was not that sort of contact really. Sort of, it was again, it was more sort of like, are they all right? Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, being on your own was, uh, it was nice. It's just when it was late at night, there's no one around. That was like quite tough at times. Again, it's probably the mixture of like what's happened, the drugs in your system and things like that as well. So like this, I would listen to podcasts and things like that as well, just because it was almost like you're having a conversation with someone who's there with you. So that was quite nice. And if it was really boring, I'll just fall asleep. So it's even better. Um, but I mean, looking back on them, then days were, they were long. But 
it was only 13 days I was in for, which given the extent of what happened was quite surprising. Um, Cause I'd never been in hospital for like a day ever, never been overnight, probably been in there like once or twice before. So you don't really know what it's like. You don't really know what to do and things like that. And again, it's the sort of, I just want to get home as well. Um, so it came out the 13 days, as we then called it, the 13 day hangover as well. Um, got taken home, had obviously still had bandages on and things like that. Um, and there was just basically, like, if you've got any problems, you can just come back in. All right, that's fine. So um, six days later, I was on in a car with my mate going to Glastonbury because what had happened is I think when some of them were coming like uh, very early on when I woke up, we're like, well, what do you want? And me sort of like joking, he was like, yeah, I have a Glastonbury ticket, please. So they went and contacted Glastonbury and Glastonbury gave me a ticket. And I was like, that's really nice. I probably won't be able to go because I'm a bit injured. But I came out absolutely fine. I felt great. Uh, on the so that was come out on Friday on the Monday uh met Triple H the wrestler because that was a surprise that had been organized as well that was like if you wanted to sort of go like that's like something that you keep and you sort of go wow that that happened that's like a big sort of like jump in terms of how your mood is and things like that and that was just like more shocked than anything else I didn't know was going to happen so I sort of had that, and then on the Tuesday, I think I was like, oh, I think I'll be all right. And then managed to find a and b so could sleep obviously in a nice bed. So I was like, if I don't feel great, I'll just come home or I'll just stay in the B&B, you know, just something comfortable. Um, so, so, well, I say survived. I would say survived. Survived at Glastonbury, um, which was great. Um, never thought I would make it through to be honest but I did and then two days later woke up in the morning had this massive pain in my back and I was like oh you know like you get back, bad back and you're like, oh, like pull the muscle or done something like weights or running I was like nah this is like almost like it feels like something's trying to get out trying to pump on my back so I was like okay um, tried a couple of places thought well let's just go back to Kings because you know they said if you need to come back you can so I went there, got a scan. They just pretty much said like, oh yeah, it's just a bit of like sort of infection or sort of like build up of various things. What we'll do is just slice it open and take it out and you'll probably go in the next day. Okay, well, that's fine. Complications came from that. What had happened is basically, I guess due to the extent of the surgical procedure and obviously the... I think this was more the wounds than the damage they did. Um, there was pretty much a hole in my stomach and there was a hole in my diaphragm. So basically everything I was eating was then almost digesting, but then coming out and basically just finding a place to go. Oh my God. So it was in my chest cavity pretty much because this is going to sound a bit disgusting, but I had a couple of leaks from any sort of chest drains sort of holes which they said might happen. Um, and then obviously it's sort of not found a way out, so then it's just gone to where my back is, and that's where it's sort of then 
built up. So I had like, yeah, just obviously I hadn't eaten a lot because obviously I've been in hospital, not because the food's bad, just because you don't want to eat when you've had loads of drugs and things like that. You're just on nutrient bags or whatever. So um, that sort of built up and that caused a bit more sort of damage internally. Um, so that was the initial one. And then again, it was just like these like, almost if you had like a bucket, it would just be like coming out in different colours. So, because what they meant before is basically it would show if there's air coming out of your chest cavity. So if there is, that means your lung's not sort of healed up and things like that. So it was coming out like black. It was coming out like grey. Coming out how, coming out where? How? So it'll come out of my chest cavity. Through the like, drains. Out of the drains into this bucket that is made with air and it would fill up of various different things in it as well. So uh, basically, basically punch, put a bunch of drains on you and left you for it to get itself out, basically. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Um, so I was like, oh, there's dinner. You know, <laughs> whatever else being there. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, don't show it to other people who come and visit. Just try and hide them a bit because it's like, yeah, it's a bit of a, a colour. So, um, you know, it's, it's a case of like, well, what is it? You know, which is perfectly sort of understandable. It's not going to be like, oh, yeah, it's just that quick fix, is it? It's like, well, this could be coming from anywhere. It could be this, could be that. So it was, I guess, some at some point sort of a trial by, was this a trial by? Fire? Yeah. Just, uh, just like oh, it, you mean process of elimination? Process of elimination. Thank oh, you. Yeah, okay, okay. Yes, a process of elimination. Um, so I went back in. So now I've got this big scar down my back where they obviously operate as well. So in terms of like lasting damage, I've got more bigger scars from surgery than from anything else, which I'm like, that's probably better. So they went back in, they sprayed my lung with basically almost like a coating almost, I think they said it was. Um, again. And then it would sort of heal with that coating on. That didn't solve it. And then that's where the point, I think they went, oh, that's where the hole, the holes are almost. Because uh, there was like an, I don't know if it was an MRI, it's basically one where you go to the big tube thing and the, it's all like this sort of thing spying around. Cat scan. Cat scan. You can see a cat, M- cat MRI, you got Meg, I don't know. They're all, they're all brain stuff, aren't they? Yeah, it might, have been, a, it might have been a cat scan. So I had to drink this sort of like fluid, which basically took, tasted like, I mean, I like Sambuca, but it tasted like just Sambuca with something else in it. It was like an aniseed sort of flavour. So it was like, you have to drink this because then what would happen, it would then show where it's going. It's iodine, your... isn't it? Is it iodine? I think it's... Mm, I, I, it's I, I don't uh, feel uh, it's iodine and they can pick it up in the scans, can't they? See where they, all the fluids yeah, go. Yeah. I it, might be wrong. It tasted shit. Let's just go with that. <laughs> um, so that was... So did that. I think the first one I did at the time, obviously the football just started and Chelsea were 3-0 down at half time to Burnley. I went, this is a great day. This is a great day. I'm drinking this and we're losing the Burnley at home. So, yeah, got, got, <laughs> so, I think from that it managed to sort of go, okay, that's where the problem is. So I thought, oh, you know, another like big surgery. So after these other two was, you know, basically like one-to-one care for a couple of days where you are basically just like, you can't move, you can't do anything. Um, but it would be weird because after the after I would sort of go back into the main ward and I had like, I shared, you know, so it would be like me and someone else in a room, which I thought was much better. 
because then you had like people walking past, you could obviously see people and things like that. Um, but I was in a wall for people who had like heart bypasses. So these people were coming in and like going, yeah, I'm having a triple heart bypass tomorrow. I'll be out in two days. And I'm like, I can walk. <laughs> I can walk around and do this. I just got a bit of stuff coming out of my chest. So that was a bit weird. Um, but yeah, met like a few people and it just again, sort of like, oh, when there's sort of downtime, there's not people like visiting to the same extent. It's like, well, at least there's something else happening to sort of take your mind off it and things like that. So yeah, I had the, uh, what would have been technically my fifth surgery. Um, and it was all like keyhole. So it didn't really leave, you know, he left like these little scars on my belly and things like that. So I was like, oh, that's a bit better. But that was the one before like waking up from them. Scary. Cause I don't know why they did this. I don't know if it's a thing, but I swear I had a tube, a plastic tube down my throat into like my belly. So when I woke up, I'm like, like gagging. So I don't know if that's a thing that they do or it was just imagining it. That was a nice surprise. So you mean, so you, when you, when you, you think they did that during the surgery and you woke up gagging from what you had in it? Well, yeah, but not surgery. like, I didn't like wake up during surgery or anything like that. It was more just woke up from being not under, whatever it's called, under the anesthetic. Anesthetic, yeah. Good with words today, aren't I? Um, yeah and then after and then this other one oh it was a bit like something like I've, it was like Dr Octopus like all these wires coming out of me and I was like I have no idea what's going on and the poor geezer like the porter like you know he's a porter I was like what's going, <laughs> what's going on and like I, and no, at this point I never really sort of got to a point where I like you know people get frustrated in hospitals I can understand that and I was quite like sort of alright with everything you know, it's nothing you can, it's not like it's your fault. It's just my body's not, I mean, it's my body's fault. But I was like, you need to tell me. I was getting, I was getting a bit too, like, and I was like, and afterwards I was like, oh, like I felt a bit shit. Cause I was like, he's just doing his job. How does like, it's just cause I'm like waking up like, oh my God, what's going on? Cause I thought wake up in like, you know, again, like a one-on-one -on -one care, not getting wheeled away almost. So it was almost like no one was telling me anything. And that was like, bit sort of like, like you'd um when when the when the attack happened when the, that the terrorist attack happened you'd only been in the police for three years at that point hadn't you uh at what point after the attack do you think uh am i in the right job <laughs> <laughs> so i've been in yeah three and a half years so i only done so i did like a year on like which is like neighborhoods basically and then did something like a cid slash case progression unit which is not a, you're not allowed to say anymore. Um, don't worry, it's a job thing. Uh, and then I was on like a response team for like 18 months and like I had loved that. And it started off a bit sort of like well, at the start because I think it just hadn't been that operational side of things again. Um, but basically the last, before it happened, like the last six months, like that year was like, I just clicked. Everything just clicked and I was like, okay, I know what happens. I'm used to the shift pattern. I'm used to sort of gaining and I'm used to dealing with things. I was like training for a marathon. So I was getting myself really fit and we stuff. everything was like proper going like all the way. And yeah, so, I mean, that took me out for, you know, we'll get off. Well, took me out for say about 10 months originally. Um, you know, there was loads of times where you go, I mean, it's probably still fairly like 
not as common, but there'll be things that happen or things that are said and you go, nah. What it's, do you mean? Like, uh, why am I here? Almost like, it's a bit, it's going to sound really arrogant, but it is a bit sort of times you get and you're like, why Why have they not paid, why have they not paid me off? Why have they not given me everything I want? Because I deserve it. So, that's something that, you know, people say to you and you go, oh yeah, that should happen. You know, you sort of get influenced by what other people say and you sort of, you know, when you get frustrated or you, like, not just, even from yourself, like, oh, like, you wake up feeling shit. Like, I don't want to, why am I doing this? I don't need to do this. But for whatever reason, it's just always comes back like 10 times more that I want to do it. Like, I don't, I know now, and this took a while to sort of figure out, my, I guess, end goal was always to go back operational. That would be like, oh yeah, I'm 100%. Like I'm 90%, but I want to be that 100% going back out and doing what I did. So I had, so I left, so after that second bit of hospital, I left after eight weeks. I was in there for eight weeks more, basically. Came out, had still like some bits attached to me, but I was fine. Uh, and then basically they were like, you just do as much exercise as you feel like you can. So I said, I'll do the marathon again. So from October to April was very much sort of focused on training and running. And, you know, there was obviously a lot of events, recognition stuff, which were fine, were great. Obviously experiences I've never thought I'd have in my life. Um, so you were sort of like, that's your job going to these things. And then you can still like do your own sort of like um, recovery, like, you know, occasionally would go to like, so my base was at Peckham. I would try and go there because then I'll get to the feeling of going back into work, using the gym, seeing people and trying to almost like build up this sort of I'm coming back part to it. So I think I'm not, I don't want to criticize anyone for this, but I can understand where they come from. When you're on stage at the Pride of Britain, when you're on the TV, when you're doing these all these things and now you're doing a marathon, why can't you come back to work is sort of what I guess people might sort of say. And I could, I was very close to being like, that's just taking the piss. But I could understand, like, you look fine, you're fit. Why are you not back? But I just didn't feel ready enough to go back in terms of just a more of a physical stance at this time because the mental stuff hadn't really hit me because it was come out of hospital you're fine you're alive you can almost run straight away not quite to the extent that I could do but I was like you lost loads of weight for obviously being in the hospital and things like that you know you're going to like these like even if it's like a drinks with like your mates they're all like giving you like everything you're like you're like the biggest thing in the world to them you know you're going to like things that have national attention and you're like oh like this is like i don't want to stop doing this this is great it's almost like a drug you're just sort of stuck on and you're getting all this admiration and it's very difficult to sort of not go oh uh you know i think i've found my sort of humble side a bit but it's very difficult to be like yeah that that's me so 
I can understand there was sort of like a bit of pressure to come back, but I thought I need to like chill because I've been doing all this stuff and it hasn't really felt I've had time off. So as soon as I've done the marathon, then, you know, the next couple of days you're going to be aching. But after that, I just dropped completely. What do you mean? In terms of my, because I've been working so hard for that and now it's done. It was almost like, okay, what am I going to do next? So quite quickly, my natural instinct was, okay, I'll go back to work now. So I went and had a chat with our occupational health. They said, well, you know, they're going to obviously ask you how you are. And I said, I've just done the marathon. I've just, I feel great. I feel like top of the world. Um, I'm ready for this. Without even probably giving it enough, the attention it deserved. So I probably went in about a week after the marathon. So it's like end of April, start of May. So there was a bit of confusion, we'll call it, over what my new sort of like getting back into, you know, you think do a few hours here, build up all this sort of stuff. Like I knew I wasn't going to go out on the street at that point. I was going to get used to being back in the office. Um, I think there was some sort of confusion. I was pretty much under the influence that, you know, I can work not my sort of hours I want, but I can obviously build up. And then other people were like, no, you have to basically be on full time next week. And I was like, I ain't ready for that. And that really got to me as well. I think I was struggling anyway, but I think the thought of like, yeah, just crack on and deal what you're doing with. It, what, it, what, it got to you that you weren't ready to go back out? Or that yeah, I think, wanted to I, think I was like a bit sort of like, it'll be easy. Again, this sort of, I'm invincible. I can do every, anything and everything. That why is going back to work an issue? So I think my head was like, not thinking, of, not giving it the justice it deserved. It was like, so as soon as I went in, I was like, <coughs> excuse me. So yeah, as soon as I went in, you know, it was a bit like, ooh, like a bit back here. It's like all this sort of like, ooh, like a lot to take in. The thing is with it as well, Charlie, is that it's never, <clears throat> it's never going to be the normal again. It can't be. And like with that particular like, incident like yours, we involved in one for you personally, like the, nearly killed you know um other people were killed and badly injured like you were um everything cha everything changes so no one treats you the same you can wake up no one's treat no and no one will treat you the same as if it never happened with your friends and your family you know uh and you, you will know this it's from you know they, that's your parents are concerned they they probably quite often worry about you is he all right like mentally you, yeah is everything fine and you got you you got your mates who are like just completely championing nothing's the same and then it's hard for people to sort of understand that i think you literally everything about your life all your interpersonal relationships they have changed in some way shape or form and the way people perceive you and also it's not just the people that you know now know you you got the whole of the british public know you as well you know and uh and so going through all those activities like doing all those those things that are part of the recovery or part of the incident the you know the aftermath of the incident pride of britain awards the queen the you know george medal for the queen um and all the other stuff work's never gonna be normal again um and so i completely understand it i can also see how people find it hard to to say well why the bloody hell isn't he back, isn't he back at work it's uh it's hey it's and how often do those incidents happen? People don't know how to deal with them. It's like probably part of the confusion at work. They just, it's, these aren't regular things that happen that you can just, everyone knows the answer to it. So hang on a minute. What's the situation here? <laughs> yeah, I always said like, oh, so if someone showed me the book, 
of how to do it, I'll be like, if you get it on an Audible or on a like a audio thing, I'll listen to it. Um, because it's difficult. I mean, it's it's difficult for even you know. Okay, from that situation, obviously, how people generally just treat you, there's almost this sort of like a norm for it. Um, you know, what really got I can't say got to me. What really annoyed me was you know, just the same sort of questions. How are you? How are you in yourself? And I was like, in your, don't say in yourself, please. It's really like, you know, I can understand it from a, I want to know if you're all right. It's like almost like, what else are you going to ask? And things like that. So again, that sort of, it's like, if I'm here, I'm fine. You know, that sort of thing. And there was a lot of, again, you know, this, there is some things that are like, this is in the book. So initially, especially for my parents, you know, getting sort of, you know, while I'm in hospital, all this stuff that's going on in the background, it's like, just tell us the stuff we need to know. Don't like, come at us from like 10 people who tell us the same stuff. We just need one person just to be like, here's what's going on. We're not the sort of people who are like, we need to know everything. You know, some people are, some people are like, I need to know everything that's going on. Everything's going on investigation. Everything's to do with this, that and the other. It's like, and they were just like, we just want our son back at home. Like, that's it. We just want to know, is he all right? Yes, that is it. Really? What do you want him to do? That okay? We'll just, we'll discuss that with him. Things like that. Again, people. That's not a criticism. That is, if that's in the book, we don't fit the book. You know, some people won't want it the same way. Some people want no attention. Some people want loads of it. So that's that's that was fine. But all these things they're very minute things, isn't it? So. Yeah, I guess, you know, I can understand people sort of being a bit like, you know, come back, you're fine. Like. And I thought I was, to be fair. So it was a bit sort of like, you've come back, good. And then it was only there, I was only there for like, I think I was there for three days. And these were like four hours. And I literally, I then think it was, I had like five days off or something like that. Just from, you know, sort of managed, I sort of wrote a plan to say this is what I would ideally want to do in terms of getting back to work because I just wanted to be in the office and just like incorporate stuff. I didn't want to be like, have to do, I didn't want to say I have to do work but it was like, I don't know if I'm even ready to even put my uniform back on at this stage. You know, again, initially I was like, I can do everything but very quickly it was like, I don't know if I can even put the uniform back on. Um, and there was like, before I had to go in the next time, I already sort of decided, I was like, I don't feel great. I was like, this is very sort of highs and lows, but these are like highs and lows every 10 minutes. So I'll be sort of like, all right. And then sobbing my eyes out and they'll come back up and be all right. Then I might be really happy because I've listened to a song that I like or something like that. And then I'll just start, almost get to this point where you're shaking. And at that point you sort of go, yeah, something's not right. Like something's really wrong. And I was probably the most anxious I've ever been I guess almost scared to go into work the next day obviously I wasn't operational just even going in the thought of going in brought me to tears and at that point I was like this is you know like you know you have moments where you go bloody I'm alive it's quite a relief you know I always had songs that would make me cry afterwards and there's still one now that is like oh it almost gets me which song is it uh it is the queen is dead by Frank Turner because the lyrics in it are just like it's nothing about the queen dying, but it's like, <laughs> just to confirm, um, it's basically, um, 
he has a friend called Alexa who's in hospital and there's a, there's a line in it just like she's like I'm not dying here but I'm not finished yet but I'm dying for a drink for a cigarette and I'm like yes me <laughs> sort of thing um, so you have them little moments and obviously like obviously the happy stuff as well happy tears and things like that but this was like as I say like shaking like oh my god like this is like were, every- your high, were your highs and lows were your highs and lows only and that shaking that high and extreme highs and lows every 10 minutes so that only happening when you're in when you're at work no this was at home oh, okay right so this is in my what I later found to be my safe place um so this was yeah at home this is happening now again maybe other things that were happening at the time might have had an influence so uh i was about to buy my own flat which causes its own although it's quite easy it causes its own sort of stress you know uh i don't know how to describe this next bit but issues with females we'll call it um just sort of all like coming together at once so I don't know if that sort of escalated it. So obviously I've been like cloud nine, hundred percent, like all like all the time. And now it's like I'm say rock bottom because I don't think I hit rock bottom. And that's not a resting remark either. But like I've not got to the point where it, I'm just depressed. I'm don't want to be at work. And because it's obviously like the first hurdle that you haven't got over, like going back to hospitals, like it's a necessary you have to do it. You've got no arguments about it. But going back to work, it's like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Like, and then you're not. You're like, well, what's wrong with me? And then that's this is where this sort of build up comes in. And you go like, that's not going right. This is not going right. That's not going to work. Um, you know, everything I've done is not worth anything now because I haven't done this achievement. So being quite critical of myself. And I was like, I think the actual recovery start like that sort of drop you know, me going into work and I didn't want to go in. I was so, I didn't want to call them and say, I don't think I can do it. I thought I had to go in and show my face. What was, why didn't you want to go in? What was, what was the, what was in your mind? I think it was just the fear, the anxiety. I think it it was pressure. I think it was a lot of pressure. Expectations of you from people? (sighs) What you, what you, what you worrying about their expectations of you were? I think it was just like, I just don't think I, gravitated to the point of like almost like oh I can go into work but I actually have to do work and at this point I was like I didn't I had no considerations for how would I feel speaking to a member of the public over the phone how would I feel logging onto a computer how would I feel getting to uniform how would I feel you know hearing stuff on the radio even I'm not going out but hearing it no sort of like consideration for that so it's nothing to really, it's not like, oh, it's a mistake. Again, no one really knows what to do in those situations. It's just saying I hadn't, it's just the entire, oh, you're, you're back in this thing. And then it is that sort of, well, if I do go out, well, what, what happens if something happens? Not thought of it. Not thought of anything like that. Because you can't go out there and be like, oh, yeah, let's just deal with it as you did how, before. You mean how would you react in a situa- if a situation arose when you were working? Yeah, so not even like contemplating you know, whether, I, I don't think, no, it's easy to say this, but I don't think I would sort of be someone who'd like cry in the corner and run away. I think I'd be probably the other way and probably do something I shouldn't, do something too aggressive um, and not be professional and all that sort of stuff as well, which I think is worse slightly than maybe not doing anything because you're affecting 
I guess they both have the positive and negatives. I should really say for that one because if you don't do anything, then someone else could get hurt from you not doing anything. But then if you do something, you hurt someone. So again, none of this was really like thought of. Again, hindsight, great, but nothing was really thought of. And so I think just all these sort of thoughts and feelings about what am I actually doing here and what I'm actually going to expect it to do hadn't been done. It all just came in at once. Um, fortunately. I made it in and just spoke to one of the sergeants and just said, like, you know, although I, I was crying on the way to work, it's just, just ridiculous. You shouldn't be in that position. You should, if you're doing that, you should think something's wrong. So we just about hold it together. When I was being to him, I was like, I've, I'm, I've got to go. I literally cannot be here. Like, I think you could see, obviously, I was visibly and obviously with my mood and things like that. Um, but, yeah, went back again, upset on the way home as well, um, because you know I felt I failed pretty much. Um, and then that, I guess May this would have been 2018. Not a lot really happened in terms of like things like that were good. Nothing bad happened. It was just nothing good happened. So then you're stuck in this sort of, I guess, rut almost. Um, and then we went away. The family and the family went away to Greece. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that, that was great. That was lovely. And so that we sort of missed the anniversary, but we flew back on the day. And then all I did basically was go up and see my mates at London Bridge just to have a drink. Absolutely great. And then it was sort of a bit more controlled. It was a bit more... You know, I'm not feeling down all the time. I'm feeling down still, but not to the extent that I was before. And I think that had to do with probably it being nice weather, the fact that the World Cup was on, the fact that I just moved into my own flat. So that's occupied two weeks of your time, doing it up, whatever you need to do to it. So the thing's keeping me busy. And it was almost like that's a fresh start as well. So all this sort of stuff was coming through. And then I think quickly, uh, quite quickly at that point, I was like, okay, I know where I want to go and work. I don't want to go operational. I want to go and work at one of our training places. And there's one quite close to me. And that's where I did my training. So I was like, done. That's decided. I'm doing that. And now it's just going to get to a point of when I can I go back. So at this point, I've obviously already sort of like spoke to our occupational health, talked about that sort of cancelling and things like that despite obviously how I was feeling, I wasn't, again, in the urgent category of, oh yeah, I want to kill myself. I was never sort of like, I want to commit self-harm. I thought, again, my way of dealing with things most of the time is laughing, that's laughing it off. So I wouldn't be like, oh, I've had enough harm done to me. I don't need to commit any to myself and things like that. It was just a case of just feeling really low. The anxiety bit didn't really stay, which was good because I don't think I could deal with that. It was just that sort of, depression and there was that sort of again like I guess it was a bit of the fuck the world at his attitude it was a bit like like why am I doing this why do I need to do this I don't need to do anything I've done what I needed to and there was no sort of like what's next at this point like, what do I do next so we had um, I think we had the news come through about me getting the George Medal. Again, good news. More good news is, is good. Um, and then there was like the Police Bravery Awards. And there was a more stuff sort of happening around that time. 
And then me and my mates went to Benicassim, the festival in Spain. Probably one of the best weeks I've ever had in terms of probably because where I'd been. But that just solved so many things for me. It was just that maybe it was time to get away, to just be away with people that have been there for you that you like, I'm not going to say love, but you know, you like a lot. Um, and just people who are there for you and being in different surroundings, you know, live music is the best thing ever and the heat and all that stuff. And you just think that maybe it was just, I needed that. Had that, came back, um, just rejuvenated, completely rejuvenated. Um, so by the time I'd gone to counselling, which I think was the next day, I was like, I'm probably about 80%. You know, I've been gradually, I've been like 20, building up. England's World Cup run got me to about 40. And then, you know, you sort of go, oh, I'm like 80% here. All I really need to do now is to be like, am I on the right lines? Am I thinking the right thing? And there was a bit of stuff that we sort of, we did um, in like seven weeks. But by the end of it, I was like, like there's been a bit of useful bits. It says about safe place. Where's your safe place? Why do you feel it's your safe place and all that stuff? Um, we still did this, um, I won't call it hypnosis, but we sort of did this uh, sort of, um, I guess, test, I would call it. And basically, it was just like, it was, it was just talking about sort of like one of my, like the lowest moment that I had like recently. But that came back all the way from my, when I joined the response team and I just, had loads of stress from work in regards to stuff going on and you know even going like oh yeah I was quite fat then and all this stuff as well and you're like okay that was then how did you get out of it well you dealt with the stuff that would work you knew it was going to work out you then got yourself healthy that worked itself out you can do these things and that's what counseling is basically giving you a pat on the back or saying you're amazing almost in certain ways so that helped massively. And then it was a case of when it got to August or September, I think I think it was, yeah, August or September. I was like, it doesn't feel I've had any time off, which is going to, again, be like, you've had like a year off. Because I, all I had to do was just whatever I wanted. I didn't have to go to anything. I didn't have to do anything. I was feeling good in myself. And it was like, I want to sort of just chill out. And then it got to September and I was like, okay, now it's time to start thinking about going back to work and then went back in October. Gradually building up. It was all set, laid out, all discussed, all planned out about how it would sort of work and things like that. Um, so again, sort of went back in October and then we had like the George Medal thing. We had the marathon gave me an award. Uh, there were some other things going on as well that time. Again, all good news. And, you know, being in that work environment was like, it's great. Everyone's supportive. Everyone's positive and they still are, which is great because you need to have positive people around you. You need to have a positive environment to work in. Um, and obviously if you're teaching new recruits, they're going to be like the most keen people out there because they want to know about the work. So I was like, this is the perfect work environment for me to be in at this moment or at that moment then. So... Yeah, occasionally there's been the old sort of like dip here and there, but it's just about how you then sort of bring yourself back up 
and things like that. And I think, especially with like all this COVID stuff now, that's obviously like, you know, we mentioned about sort of what we mentioned recently is like control. You can only control the things that you can. If you can't control something, you just don't have to really worry about it. So I think when it first sort of hit and I had to leave work, I was like, this is fucking shit. But then it's like, well, you can't do anything about it. So why worry about it? It's not your choice, is it? It's someone else's. Well, it was my choice to leave, to go shielding, but like you had to. You didn't want to die because you wanted to like, or get a risk of dying just because you wanted to stay on and do it for the team. At that point, you can sort of then be like, I've done enough. I don't need to put myself at more risk. Um, so yeah, little things that might happen, you just sort of go like, I'm very sort of like plain about stuff to the point like, okay, why are we stressing over that? Why are we stressing over this? We don't need to, nothing to do with us. We only do what you can. If you focus on what you can do, then you're going to be absolutely fine, really. Yeah, bang on. You bang on there. A lot of people spend time, waste time worrying over things that, like, as you say, you can't influence. You don't worry about, don't, you don't, don't worry about what you can't influence. You just, you deal with what you can do and, and move forward. But going back to that, uh, I mean, that, yeah, that year or so of, was it well about a year that you had off really, wasn't it? Work altogether. Uh so yeah, I mean if you was if we were say from the day of the incident until going back in, sixteen months. Yeah. If we forget the bit bit little bit of a bit, bit in the middle there, but going back to response stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's again, it's an it's an absolute challenge. Um, because as I, as I mentioned before, I think it's something I'm sort of realising as you're talking. It's everything your whole world has changed. You know, everything you thought you knew about it has changed. You, you, where you thought you stood amongst your peer groups in society has changed. The way the your relationship again with your parents has changed and slightly. We're talking just little, just this slightly different. The way people interact with you has changed. The way people interact with you or you interact with work has changed completely, just marginally. And so the people that who are interacting with you on a daily basis, they're the same people as they were before the incident. Mm. They're just treating you slightly differently. But for you, every single thing you knew of has just it's shifted left or right one slight little bit, which means when you put it all together, it, it, it is one of those contributing factors to all that, that the mental, the pressure that's exerted on you by yourself or by others, the, that, your anxiety, the pressure, the ups and downs, because you're trying to work out what the hell life is all about again and it's not been a gradual change to what it is it's one incident's done it there you go you you, you wake up next you you, you, open, you go and deal with that incident you have you know have to be watching champions league then you next time you open your eyes after that incident the world your whole world's changed completely and you've got to try and re re-understand where you sit within it and then add into that the physical injuries the mental impact of the injuries the rehabilitation all of that side of things Epic. I don't think people appreciate it. I've not experienced anything like yourself. But um, so the closest thing I would try and describe that, if I can analogize it slightly, if that's the right word, is when I when I was serving, when I was first serving, um, yeah, I was in the army, and yeah, fine. Then I went to in seventy three. I went on my first proper operation, and that was the Iraq War. Came back from that, and I found it difficult coming back. Not, but not hideously, but it was definitely something that changed because people were treating me differently no, that was just because I'd gone to a place <laughs> and then come back and, it, and so for, for you it's like a million a million fold a million fold you know 
And then having to have all those emotions and stuff that you're dealing with that sort of make you, they can make you feel like incapable. Like, and that's part of the challenges. But at the same time, everyone is seeing you as a hero. Yeah. And you're the best thing since sliced, bre- sliced bread. And yet in your head, it's like, man, I am not living up to the, <laughs> I'm not living up to the standards I think I am here. Yeah. So I mentioned there about sort of things happening quite quickly. Um, I think, I think it was someone at work said about this. It's basically like finding your equilibrium again. So, yeah. and I've sort of put this out there with like a couple of like public speaking events or whatever you've done, but just basically saying like, you know, things change every day uh, or, you know, week, month. And it's quite easy to sort of change. Like the weather's changed in the last week. You know, it's like really small. You've adapted to it. Um, you know, you might go, Fancy a career change, fancy a different job, fancy, oh, I've got a different role in my job. Uh, okay, well, that's something I've got to obviously now change, like my shifts might change or, you know, then we get on to like bigger things like, you know, having kids, getting married or whatever it would be, sort of things like that. But when something so much happens in one go, it is then going, oh, I'm not going to be the same after this. Where is my, because I always thought, oh, back to normal. There's no such thing. It's back to, you have to find a new normal, which takes time. Because again, if you're going, oh yeah, so this week, I would like, mention about my friends. I think they did so well in trying to keep me like, not, I wouldn't say grounded, but you know, I don't feel that they really treated me anything different to before. Obviously, you know, stuff you're going to talk about is slightly different because Obviously, it's like, oh, how was this last week? Or saw pictures of this or whatever it be. That's different. But in terms of like where we sort of stand, I didn't really feel much had really changed. I don't know. They probably think you turn into even more of a tosser. <laughs> I don't know. That could be true. Um, but I just felt like they kept, <laughs> excuse me, they kept me like really in a good place. And I think it did sort of have that like comfort with them. Just being like, oh, I can just be me. I don't have to be like someone else or anything like that. Um, so yeah, it's just about finding that sort of, where's your new, new place? Where's your new sort of like, this is good for me here in this position. Um, and you know, that's, again, you sort of, with what I've found with what's happened is there's always this, like you think about stuff and you, and you do it or you, you, you have these emotions and you, you sort them out. I just think it ex- just accelerates or just makes everything like 20% worse. So you sort of go, oh, I've had a, I've woke up feeling bad this morning. Is it because I'm just tired? Or is it because of this other 20% thing because of this, that and the other? You know, is it because I'm now, oh, I'm tired, I don't want to go to work or I'm tired. I don't feel like, you know, as ready as I would be to go to work. There's things like that. And you're like, I shouldn't go to work and it just sort of you come like you're your own worst enemy <coughs> come like your own worst enemy so that's why I'm sort of thinking like now you need to be almost at a point where you go that's it deal with it control you haven't got control don't worry about it if you have got control do something about it um, and I think even sort of I would say selfishly again like you sort of have to work out what's best for you in those sort of like, I would say by the time I went back to work, I was like, I'm just going to focus on me. Really. Um, you know, you 
you sort of try and I guess you, your impulses go up a bit. You think, oh, I want to try a different thing. I want to go. I'm literally just going to see things and go for it. Um, you know, as I mentioned uh, before we started, you know, TV stuff coming in, getting asked to go on Britain's Got Talent as a illusionist because of your injuries. Yeah, you jump on it because you go, oh, I could do this. And then you get to the point where you go, this is very silly. Let's not do this. Or going on, take me out and being like, mm, nah, like, you know, you sort of eventually make up your own decisions about stuff. So you do have this very sort of one-way thinking. And I think, I would say like, particularly, I would say quite recently, it feels like I can, I've I've got myself sorted. But I don't want to sort of say, sorted, done, leave it alone. It's like, okay, you're in a good place. If you do fall back, you know how to get yourself back up. I think now um, you just need to obviously you know people say like you should move on you forget well, no you shouldn't actually because if you go like that's where I was this is where I'm now and you go well done to yourself you pat yourself on the back you've got to self-encourage yourself yes be the biggest critic of yourself compared to anyone else which is fine because you're evaluating your life you're evaluating your like performance at work or you're evaluating you know, sort of what's good and what's bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, you still got to have that bit of backing for yourself and be like, I did that, but now I want to do more things. It's like, you don't like, I used to, again, running joke was, oh yeah, met police, completed it, mate. Completed it. What else am I going to do? And there is nothing that's probably going to top that, but there's still things you can do in terms of a work perspective. But, you know, you, you, you've got options on the table still. You can still be like, well, actually, uh, someone's, I've seen a job, gone for it, got it. My decision, I've made the change if I wanted to. Or someone's come and tried to get me a job, not a hint there at all. Come work for us for 60K a year. Yeah, I will do that. That's fine. What do you want me to do? Nothing. Okay, I'll do that. You know, job available is open. Um, again, you just sort of go like, well, it's almost like you can do anything, but you anyone can do anything as well. Um, and you sort of like go like anything's like quite possible, like you know if someone's if, again it's like, oh, if someone said to you four years ago I'd be like no, that's not going to happen. I mean, it did. Um, so it's probably why I'm quite sort of you know I don't really see the problem of like I don't really see like, like people moan about stuff and I'm like you know everyone likes the occasional moan but it's like well, let's look at the positives. Let's go for the, like, let's not think of the negatives. Let's go for the positives of stuff. Okay, what can we do? Can we, you know, change this, change that? Can we make it better? And I think you just need to have that sort of, I think it's fine confidence in yourself, which some people might find difficult, but, you know, you just sort of go like, you know, you're good at, everyone's good at something. You're bound to be good at something. Just keep working. Like, you'll get there. And I think I've sort of found like, my optimum level, I guess. But I'm normally working on like 90%. Like I'm happy all the time. It is just when I'm not, it can drop quite a lot still, yeah. I think. But again, it is the case of, okay, evaluating it. Why am I feeling like that? Not making excuses for it, but it's like, okay, this is your time now to think about why you're feeling down and take that bit extra longer rather than sort of hiding it away. I mean, like, you'll be fine. You know, you need to sort of, okay, bring yourself back in a bit and try and evaluate things. So that's the more the long-term 
And that's not going to go away. And it's accepting the fact that, you know, PTSD, whatever, I don't, again, PTSD is like weird because I don't, it's sort of quite a large bubble. It could be anything. But I think it's always something to be aware of that sometimes you might go, something might happen and you're like, oh, you know, I'm back where I was like at that time where I was shaking before I was going back to work, crying my eyes out. You know, I've not got to that point. I've gone down occasionally, but I think I've managed to get myself back up quite quite well. So hopefully I can sort of level myself out as much as possible. That's, uh, that's, that's, it's generalizing. That's, that's life for everyone. All right. Mm. Isn't it? It's, uh, you, we all, everyone's up and down all the time. I think it's unfortunate that in order to get the kind of experience, uh, the experience and understanding that you have of your own, uh, mental state on a, on a daily basis, hourly basis, sometimes, you know, even less is that it's unfortunate to be able to get that generally people have to go through extreme hardship to have that awareness because i've spoken before I, I wish everyone had that awareness of themselves you know you feel a bit shitty like you, exactly like you said what is causing the issue can you change it no okay if you can't change that issue to make yourself feel better do something else to bring yourself back up and the other thing is that again with yourself i'm sure when I mean, you talking about in hindsight i when i hit rock bottom and i well, no, sorry, when you go, when you go get re, feel really down, now you 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 understand it now to bring yourself back up. But also, I'm guessing that you're able to see that coming. Sometimes you're able to see a bad time coming, and then be able to sort of try and aim off for it. Yeah, I think the um, yeah, I think it's just to being aware. Sometimes you don't. Yeah, sometimes you do see things, and then you sort of like, okay, okay what's the best way of dealing with this? And usually. It is venting in some fashion, not on social media. Shouldn't be doing that. Occasionally that has happened and I've gone, nah, that's stupid. Um, but you sort of go, okay, right, writing things down for me is the biggest thing ever in terms of like, okay, uh, I've felt upset with something. I want to write down why I'm feeling upset. And it can even, and this is sometimes where it does feel like you take it on a day by day basis which very early on when sort of this setback happened, it was waking up, oh, I feel good today. Today's going to be a good day. Uh, oh, I woke up bad. Today's going to be a bad day. And now it is. I wake up fine, pretty much. It will be the it will be literally once every two months, probably even less than that now. So you sort of try and like plan. I'm like quite planned orientated. So... Or as much as I can slightly of someone, my girlfriend might disagree with this, but she will say you can't change your plans. It's like, I, I can. It just takes me time to make those changes um, because I've sort of like set myself up for the next like two weeks in terms of when to do things and when to not and things like that. Like, you know, if something spur of the moment happens, it's, it's fine. But it's like, okay, I then have to sort of think about, okay, so that means I can't go to the gym on that day. Or I have to go then and things like that. So I guess that could, I don't know if that's the thing. I don't know if that's normal. That that sounds normal to me, but maybe, you know, extra five, 10% on because of what happened. Maybe I like to be in control of what is, what is happening. So again, that's my sort of, Oh, I know what's happening. I can sort of manage it quite well. Um, cause, because the problem, the other problem I sort of have is if I don't do anything, I am terrible. I need to be out doing stuff. I need to do something all the time. So 
I guess people might call that erratic, but you know, I, I can sit down and watch like a documentary. I can watch something on Netflix or Amazon Prime or any other streaming sites that are available. Um, you know, it's fine, but within reason. I couldn't sit there all day and do it. I would have to go out, go for a walk. I have to go out, go to the gym, recently go to the gym. Uh, you know, I have to write something, listen to something, do cleaning, you know, wherever it be, I have to do something or prepare for work for the next couple of days just so it keeps my mind occupied as well. Um, excuse me, and obviously physical health helps your mental health miles. You know, doing that marathon after coming out of hospital, probably, I would say probably delayed everything, maybe, but I think if I didn't do it, I would have just sunk into that rut and it probably would have lasted longer. Um, so, and I know how beneficial it can be and things like that. So, again, just you set yourself challenges, like small targets. So, my small target every day is to do 10,000 steps. That's my small target. If I can do that, um, that's good. I've achieved something. And then we go sort of like, okay, at the moment, I'm in the process of like losing like quite a bit of weight. So, again, that's like maybe the medium challenge. And then your high challenge is like, oh, okay, um, I want to get promoted. I want to do the marathon properly next year or wherever it'll be. So you set yourself these little sort of challenges and things like that. Cause again, that is a sort of self-motivation, like, Oh, well done. Like you've, you've achieved something for the day. Um, so that's really important to do as well. But it, I think my problem I had like when I sort of had these down parts is like, why do I need to manage myself so much? Why do I need to sort of think about every single thing I do in such like, I don't want to say minute, but quite a lot of detail. It should just be like, I'm going out and doing stuff. And then eventually I can then sort of go like, I can be quite impulsive and I can just be like, you know what, I've just, I've just done that. Whether it's almost like the little spurt of doing something and it's fine. Um, but then it can be times where I guess it almost comes to a point of like, possibly social anxiety something like that whereby it's like it might take me a day to call someone on the phone because i just can't do it for no reason what's it's just oh, i just can't do it like some people don't like phone people that's fine like i'm obviously a bit like that but why can't you just do it and now it's like those are challenges that i didn't think i need to have but i've spotted them I've spotted these sort of challenges and now it's like iPhones like oh, I can't remember what it even was. I think it was to get like something about my mortgage. I phoned someone on the phone. So most of the time I do it online. And as soon as I did that, I was like, it's easy to phone people. Obviously at work, before, you would phone people every day, near enough. Whether it be like uh like senior like leadership or it be like members of the public or it be like hospitals. You know, you're on the phone all the time. Like it didn't even sort of come into like any sort of thought about it. And now it's like Going on the phone, someone that's a bit worrying. Again, it's going back, it, it's uh, like we were talking about earlier, where your whole your whole environment changed. Like, I mean, look, as as, as we go on through life, things you, you you change, you know, you change within yourself, you physically you change, mentally you change, all the way until the day we die. Mentally you change, physically you change, your environment changes, you go on, going back, going back to like when an incident like what you had happens and uh, and those events on the day. It, the difference is it all, it all change, you're right. 
<laughs> it all it all changes instantly. Whoa. So not only are you trying to again that equilibrium, it's the environment you're in in your relationships, but it's also your 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 brain has changed. So I mean those things you're describing, like uh, having to phone you know find difficult to phone people needing to do that. I, I sort of I understand that feeling, but for other people that's their norm. That's what yeah. they're always like. And 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 you are, it's just you understanding how ah oh, this is this is who I am now. This is this is who I am now and. That, that's how you that's how you move forward with it. I used to think uh um I used to think that I wanted to just get my get I wanted I wanted to be me the me I was before. Um so I think right that's where I that was my goal. I want to be the me I was before. And uh I was I went and had counselling and one of my one of my uh one of the guys at counselling with he said to me, What I've just said to you there is is that have you considered that you are who you are now? There's no like going. You can't. You can't go back. Like you, you've evolved. You're evolving. Mm. Yeah. Some some things change for the positive. Some things change for the negative. You could make phone calls before. Now you find it a little bit difficult. A little bit of anxiety there, right? And, and when he said that to me, he said, "This is who you are now." I, I, I a penny dropped for me. It's a good fucking point. It's a good point. So instead of trying, instead of aspiring to be who I was before, which you can't get younger, you can't make yourself any less <laughs> wise. Well, maybe you can make yourself less wise with some narcotics or something, but you it's about understanding where you are now and then going right okay like you were saying there you you which you're already adapting to it you were saying about you now need you you value routine you like to know what's going on and if if things change and it takes a little bit of adjustment for you that's you understand it's you and your new personality mate yeah <laughs> basically what it is again it's just shifted things have just shifted slightly and trying to understand who you are now how to go forward with it best but yeah, it's weird. Like I was like, you can't phone Nat West, but you can stand in front of like, you know, a thousand people, or you can go on live TV, or you can like go in every day. Well, not as much now, but like go into work normally every day, stand in front of, you know, 16, 20 people and be like, oh, I'm teaching you policing stuff today. And not even like, you might occasionally drop like, oh, I've said that wrong or I've made a mistake there once in a day. But you can't call Nat West and go, how's my mortgage getting on? You know, or whatever it is. So it's like, again, you're like, that's a bit weird. So you notice it. You go, why can you do that? But you can't do this. What's the difference? One's easier than the other, you know? Do you, so, ever, do you ever see yourself going back onto uh, patrols? I think I made this decision probably about, probably during sometime during COVID or lockdown. Um, I guess it was always saying, I was like, I don't need to, it was always, it's normally, that. that's normally the question people ask, I would say now, is either when you're going back out or are you going back out or something to do with either tattoo fixers or the queen because that's what they've seen me on and things like that. On the what? The tattoo fixers? Tattoo fixers, yeah. So they, I didn't get a tattoo fix, I got an original, my first tattoo, this one here. So I got that made. So people go, have you ever seen you on that or I've seen you like something to do with the queen? Okay. But yeah, are you going back to Borough? When you're going back out on the street? And I'm like, oh, I don't know yet. And I think I was always sort of like, well, be... I always have these things where it's like, oh yeah, it'd be really fun. But as long as I don't have to do any paperwork, arrest anyone, search anyone, I'll just sort of go out and like, be like, oh, what's going on? You know, that sort of ride along. If I can do a ride along yeah. for 30 years, <laughs> I'm like, this is great. <laughs> um, I don't think I need to, I think is the main thing. I don't think I need to. And I think, you know, again, every time I sort of go, oh, I don't want to be in this job anymore. My dad, 
most sensible. Yeah, he is sensible. Like just, I would say the wise is sensible and like he will pretty much tell me how it is as well. Um, like you're in a large organization, you can do anything you want. You've got job security. You've got, um, basically you've got a job for life. Bit of the arrogant side coming at you. You've got a job for life because of what happened. You know, you still have to earn it, but you know, you've got a good pedigree maybe compared to someone else perhaps. So it always sort of brings me around to the sensible option, I would say. It's um, not arrogant. It's not, I mean, look well, at that. It's not, I, it can be... Can, I will use know. it in an application. It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's not, but it's not arrogant. You're just acknowledging what the situation is and it's not like, uh, it, you know, it's just one of those situations going about. So it's not, it's not, it's not arrogant at yeah. all to just, to, you're being objective about what, you know, your, your, your situations. So, um, yeah, there's loads of different. I literally in the last couple of weeks, there's departments I didn't know even existed because I've actually gone out there and asked, or I've gone out there and looked for myself. Because all I would know really is, you know, our training, operational policing, and the different units associated with that, detectives, but, you know, the background jobs. Yes, they're not out there doing it, but they are available. Um, you know, someone mentioned about going counter-terrorism. I was like, oh, I'd probably be quite motivated to go into that one as well. Um, but even just like, you know, logistics or something like that. Yeah, it's not going to be like as exciting as it could be, but you're still making a difference just in the way that you can. So, you know, even from knowing what the job's like to then coming out of it for so long, you just then almost have to find that go, well, why do I need to go back at from a, just a general sense of not that my work is easier now. It is easier in certain things in terms of time, you know, the shifts are better, you know, there's different sort of pressures. Now I'm not saying that it is anywhere near as difficult as CID or team, but there still is enough of a challenge for me doing it. Cause if you would do it properly, can take time like if you do it properly some people don't do it properly and i'm quite happy to say that on this and if it gets released some people do not do the training job properly some people do and fortunately most of people i know do so we know who that is aimed at so i'm quite happy in doing what i can there but i know eventually that's not going to be a 30 year thing so where else is out there? And that's probably what the stage I'm in now. Talking about promotion, talking about sort of looking out where else is out there. Not exactly getting into contact with people, but just trying, okay, what, do, what does this do? What does this department do? So you might be like, oh, th does that exist? I didn't know it even existed. Oh, that sounds quite interesting. And then getting your name out there. You know, my name is a bit more out there, say, than other people, but you still have to go and ask. You still have to go and, and like put yourself out there. You can't just get given stuff as I keep was like sort of thinking like hey, just give, give me everything because I deserve it no yes you have to go out there and get it. and I like that sort of challenge and that sort of going out there and doing it for myself it's um good, it's good there because you're, you're you're fully aware of the god complex some people develop when stuff yeah, happens and I mean and 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 they fall into that routine of they get given everything so then they in the future they expect it to happen you know uh no, mate, it's, uh, it's, mate, it's been great chat, we're, we're like an hour and hour and three quarters. Have we not, is there anything we haven't covered? 
Um, we'll just have a quick sort of. Uh, obviously, the events that happen on Friday um, at Croydon custody. Um, there is a just giving page out there. Please donate. Um, it's an unimaginable thing that's happened. Uh, just ask. Obviously, everyone support each other in especially in the in the job um yes there's going to be anger there's going to be upset but let's look out for each other okay if we look out for each other we can help each other and you know continue to do what we do out there because i'm operational a lot of people are and you know just keep up the good spirit as much as you can really Mm. condolences to sergeant returner's family and friends absolutely um i'll put that just giving link in the in the in the blurb underneath the uh, podcast but yeah. it's doing well as well i think I yeah i think it was up to 60,000 as of today yeah. um and yeah um if you want to as well as you know if that's not an incentive enough a little tiny bit of incentive on top of that is uh doing the marathon again on the 4th of october but I'm only walking it, so don't give me any money. If you're going to give any money to anyone, give it to to sergeants. Just yeah. giving page, definitely. Okay, I've got that link. Yeah, um, mate, been a pleasure. Good luck with everything. Thank and, you. And um, good luck with the marathon. How is the marathon? It's just people do it on the on their cells in London. The so uh, yeah, basically they're going to send an app, um, and then they'll basically just track it as you would say, like Apple, Strava, Fitbit would do the same thing. They just track it. Basically, just do whatever route you want to do. You have all day to do it. Um, I'm not in the condition to run it and I don't think I have enough uh, motivation to run it just because I can. So I'm going to walk it um, and my dad's decided that he's going to come and walk the last few miles with me. That's good. So I was like, he was like, if you want to, if you want me to, it's fine. I was like, it's not nothing to do with me. If you want to walk that far, it's up to you. So yeah, hopefully you'll be there. Cheers, buddy. That is it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can support it uh, by becoming one of my Patreon supporters. Um, you do that by going to patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts. And in doing so, you get access to all of the HR podcasts early. You will get access to the entire series two of the Leading Minds series when that is released. You'll get access to that early. Um, you also get part of giveaways and, and things like that. When I did the James Hook podcast, for H hour, he very kindly gave a, a signed jersey to me, a signed Osprey's journey jersey to me to, uh, to be able to give away my Patreon supporters. So, yeah, yeah, support the podcast that way and get some get some freebies in the, in, in return. <laughs> you also get to uh, ask ask questions to the guests, um, and you also get to uh, ask me questions or beast me if you want, just uh, on the on the monthly Zoom calls that I do with the Patreon supporters which I honestly find invaluable. So thank you to my Patreon supporters if you want to join that niche group of people. In fact, and get your name on the credits at the at the end of each uh, HR podcast on YouTube, all the Patreon supporters' names rolled in the credits as a big thank you. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash HK podcast. Thank you. Also, again, thank you to my sponsors, the Aardvark Group and Rugby for Heroes. Two entirely different organisations, however, with, uh, with with very many common themes among them. One of those is to support the military community and uh, improve people's lives. 
not just here in the UK and not across the world. Rugby for Heroes, Rugby for Heroes do that through raising money for military charities to support uh, mili- uh, military serving and uh, ex-serving personnel in their times of need. And the Aardvark Group, their mission is to rid the world of the landmine, unexploded ordnance and the threat that poses to people, property and assets. Rugbyforheroes.org, rugbyforheroes.org, and for the Aardvark Group, it's aardvark.group. Thank you, everybody. Please leave an iTunes review if you uh, listen to this on, I, on Apple Podcasts. And uh, stay safe. Until next time, out. <laughs>